All right, open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Some of you are probably thinking, I I didn't think I'd ever hear those words, Romans chapter 2. We seem to spend a long time in Romans chapter 1. And we did, by the way, there were 11 sermons. There were 11 sermons in Romans chapter 1. It's outside my introduction. But um, don't get me wrong, I don't apologize for that. Um, I just simply look at it and say, you know, the book of Romans is... uh, has a lot going on, and there's no purpose in flying through it just to jump over it, just to say, well, we finished that and we finished that. You know what? We want to stay in God's Word and get to know the best we can. So um, we spent a lot of time in chapter 1, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be in the book of Romans period for a little while. But to be able to back up just a little bit as I begin, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, Paul talked about the sinfulness of man, uh, the rebellious, the perverted, and depraved heart of mankind. Now, what Paul, uh, what put, I should say, a man on this road to ruin was or began with the rejection of God himself. If you believe, folks, there is no God, that means there is no moral standard. There is, if there's no moral standard, there is no accountability. That means there is no absolute truth. And therefore, you have this principle where people say, leave me alone because I want to do what I want to do. And for some people, that's simply the reason why they say, I don't want to believe in God because I want to do what I believe. I don't want a, I don't want a moral standard. I don't want an absolute truth. Okay? Well, this is exactly what God did here when they said, leave me alone. This is what God said when he granted their request. Three times here in chapter 1, Paul said, God gave them over, okay? Man so much wanted nothing to do with God that basically God said, fine. And God, he says, gave them over to their sinful desires, It's basically God's response saying, look it, if you want me out of the picture, if you desire to live your life in outright immorality, okay, fine, you can have it, okay? So really, it's almost like it's at their own request, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. God allowed mankind to go on, to stay on this destructive course where the longer man is on that road, the worse the results are going to be. Everything around them will begin to crumble. In other words, man will suffer the consequences of their own decision. Man will suffer the consequences of saying, God, get out of my face. I don't want you around. I don't believe in you, and I don't want anything that has to do with you. Okay? But hey, this is, this is the life they wanted, right? This is what they wanted. Okay? Well, the The first thing God said to them here, it was in verse 24. You notice here in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So even though man knows God's holy standards of morality, and more specifically, uh, sexual relationships, man wants absolutely no part of that. This whole one man, one woman in marriage is too restricting for them. Man wants to be free to fulfill any sexual desires that they have. As I stated previously, man basically wants what God forbids. It's like, it's like when something says wet paint, I'm going to touch it. Right? God says, don't do this. Well, that's exactly what I want. And therefore, man pursues sexual pleasures any way they can outside of marriage. And unfortunately, besides the actual, or I should say the physical act, man in today's world can even use technology. As you know, we have things, the click of a mouse, we can even use camera phones, and so on, and so on. And so man now, in their depravity, takes it to the next level. Speaking of the next level, the second time Paul says God gave them over is in verses 26 and 27. 
which says this. It says, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And so with mankind basically making their own decisions, we've now gone from sexual impurity among the heterosexual community to what Paul calls the shameful lusts of homosexuality. Man has gone from what is, what is natural and sinful to what is unnatural and sinful. And obviously there in that text, Paul makes it very clear what natural is, right? He says natural is a man with a woman. What is unnatural, which means what is contrary to nature, he says what is unnatural is basically to hook up with somebody of the same sex. And so regardless of what society may think, regardless of what our culture accepts, or for that matter, even votes for, God says no. Matter of fact, God says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, that it is an abomination. Okay? And listen, folks, that hasn't changed. Because some people say, well, God wrote that 5,000 years ago. It doesn't matter, okay? God hasn't changed. Just because we live in a different day or even in a different culture, the very nature of God doesn't change. If you heard of the word immutable, God is immutable. God is unchanging. His nature doesn't change. What is right, true, and holy, and just always is the same with God, his standards haven't gone anywhere. And finally, in verses 28 through 32, we see the third time that Paul says, God gave them over. And I think, I'm not going to read all of that, but I think in verse 28 is really where he sets the stage here. In verse 28, he says, since they did not see it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. I believe the New American Standard says they didn't even see fit to acknowledge him. Another translation says they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Folks, listen, you cannot reject God and think that nothing else will transpire as if there's not going to be any negative effect whatsoever. If a godless life is what you want, God will give it to you along with the sinful life that you live, which is going to progressively get worse, okay? And we actually saw that in the following verses, okay? When Paul said in verse 28, he says, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done, okay? That lengthy list of what ought not to be done is what follows in verses 29, through 32. I'll just briefly mention it. He talks about wickedness, evil, depravity. He mentions being God-haters, arrogant, disobeying your parents. He even says they invent ways. Man invents ways of doing evil. Wow. <laughs> There's a whole list of things there of what happens, and it begins with the rejection of Almighty God. But I believe it all culminates here in verse 32. Verse 32 says, although they know, now listen what it says, although they know God's righteous decree, they know it, they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. That's spiritual death, by the way. Man, man already is going to get physical death. They deserve death. He says, what does he say? They not only continue to do those very things, but he says they approve of those who practice them. They know how bad it is. They know the judgment of it, but they continue to want to do it. And trust me, if you watch the news, you'll, you'll see that even today. But it says they approve of those who practice such things. Folks, that is the depth of man's wickedness. John chapter 3, Jesus said, people love darkness rather than light. And therefore, he said, guess what? 
their deeds are evil. See? Folks, people are inherently depraved. Not good, <laughs> just the opposite. People are inherently depraved. The verse, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Folks, that is almost like an understatement. <laughs> for all have sinned, that's true, but it's almost like an understatement. We truly have to wonder how far will the wickedness of man go. And sadly, uh, it, even though this was written 2,000 years ago, we begin to see more and more of what man will do, how vicious and evil they will be. Some things are just unfathomable that man will do to other men. Well, that was the end of chapter 1, which we finished up last time. But as I've stated in weeks past, just because we ended in chapter 1, uh, it doesn't mean that the discussion of man's sinfulness has gone away. Okay, Paul is going to be on this subject matter um, all the way until the middle of chapter 3. Okay, But today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But I'm just kind of giving you a heads up there. Paul is continuing on this mindset to prove and to show the sinfulness of man. And of course, when he's through with that, is of course a perfect time to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because man needs to understand, first of all, that he is a sinner, that he is depraved. Okay? And then, of course, the gospel is given. But if you have your Bibles open, read with me there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth, or you can also say it's right. So when you, he says, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? So folks, starting here in chapter 2, as I said a minute ago, we're going to continue to see the sin of man, okay? But here, what we're going to do a little bit different is Paul is going to bring the Jews into the context, okay? Now, you're not going to see the word Jew there until verse 9, okay? But some of those sinful struggles, which, by the way, us Gentiles struggle with as well, some of those sinful struggles are going to come into play in these first four verses, okay? Now, if you remember, it's been a little while now, but when I went through my introduction on the book of Romans, I stated that Paul predominantly wrote to the church at Rome, were predominantly Gentile, okay? But we also know there must have been a decent amount or a fair amount of Jews as well, and we see that from chapter 4, verse 1. You see that in chapters 9 through 11. But you also see that in just the fact that Paul mentions a decent amount of Old Testament figures like Abraham and Sarah, uh, Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, and so forth. Okay, So we know there are some Jews there participating in the church in Rome. Now, that being said, even though sin is not separated into groups or people groups, okay? We don't separate sin into different people groups. Sometimes a certain culture might show a more prominent sinful trait than others, okay? And we're going to see that in our text this morning. Even though mankind as a whole struggles with judging one another, the Jews seem to have this down pretty well. As you know, they were known for their self-righteous attitude towards non-Jews. 
okay? Because they were God's chosen people, because they had God's moral law at their fingertips and were typically taught it, they've known it since they were a child, they believed that they held to a higher moral standard than the rest of their contemporaries, hence the Gentiles. Okay, they felt that they were superior morally, ethically, to all who lived out that sin in chapter 1. Okay? Everything you saw in chapter 1 that we just kind of briefly reviewed, they said, I'm above that. I am superior to that. I'm a Jew. I'm God's chosen. You see a lot of that in the Gospels itself. And so they were, the Jews were well known for these kinds of things. And certainly here, we, we literally just finished talking about all of the depravity there in chapter 1. So, so thinking about everything that we just reviewed, okay, everything we went through, the sins, the immoral behavior, the, the sexual problems, the homosexuality, all the depravity and so forth. Thinking about that, Paul begins verse 1 here. And what does he say? You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you're judging the others, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment, guess what? He says you do the same thing. So Paul begins chapter 2 here speaking to the Jews, but I want you to understand this can be applied to anyone who has a high view of themselves. Okay? Now before you think, well, pfft, I mean, that's not talking to me. I don't have a high view of myself. Let me tell you something. If you've ever had a lower view of somebody else, that means you have a higher view of yourself, okay? That's the point. We don't, it doesn't mean you have to walk around like you're a Pharisee, but when you find yourself doing what this text is talking about, that means you, you have a higher view of yourself, okay? So keep that in mind, okay? Now, not everyone who has a high view of themselves realizes they have that high view, and therefore I encourage everyone today in this room to pay, pay attention because it just might be talking about you and me, okay? We see a lot of these scripture texts, and it's easy to go, oh, well, that's not me. I don't do that. Or these people are this, and these people are that. Really? Is that true? Listen up. If, if, if truth needs to be applied, I encourage you to do so. And so the verse here begins with what? You have no excuse. Now, what does he mean by that? when he says, you have no excuse. Well, I believe actually the verse explains it itself, okay? And so you know the verse really well. I'm going to read it one more time. But notice he says, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. So say he's talking to the person who chooses to judge somebody else, okay? Now he says, for at whatever point you judge the other, let's just make something up. Let's say you're judging someone because they have a filthy mouth, okay? You're, make, you're judging someone because they have a, a, a filthy mouth. You're passing that judgment off on them. He says, you're condemning yourself. Do you see that? You're judging somebody else for what they're doing, and Paul says, you're judging, you're condemning yourself. Why? Because you who pass judgment, doggone it, you do the same things, he says. What? That can't be people in the church, can it? Well, yes, it can. See? So the reason here, folks, that Paul says you have no excuse to these, to these people is because you'll notice they can clearly see the sin in somebody else, can't they? And, and even if you point to us, we can clearly see the sin of somebody else. We can easily point that finger. And therefore, he's saying here, you have no excuse because you know what sin is. You can clear as day, see it in somebody else, right? You know what it is. You seem to have this laser focus on finding faults in everybody else that you just don't pay attention to your own shortcomings, see? So you have no excuse because we know you know what sin is because, you, boy, you can pick it out of somebody else in a heartbeat, Right? And by the way, this is highlighted actually right here in chapter 2 in verses 17 through 24. If you want to flip over there, 
you, you might not even have to turn your page. But here in chapter 2, verses 17 to 24, listen to what Paul says. He says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, if you're convinced that you're a light for those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, if you believe that you are a teacher of infants because you have the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, listen, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He says, why, you who preach about stealing, do you steal? You who say that God should not, I'm sorry, you, wow, that was a tough one. You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow. If we were to use that statement for today, you would say God's name is blasphemed amongst the non-Christians because of the Christians. That's kind of how you look at that today. As they, as they outside of Christ look at us, he's saying, you, you're not representing Christ, you're blaspheming him. Because you're saying this, you're saying A, B, C, and D, but you don't live it out. Matter of fact, you're just the opposite. Those are tough words, right? Now here is where the misguided, notice the words, here is where the misguided Christians have a problem. Okay. Some will say, well, you know, Darren, the problem is, is that Christians are too busy judging others. We shouldn't be judging each other, right? The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. And why is it always, why is it always quoted in the King James anyway? It's always, I don't know. But right? We, the Bible, that's the problem. We shouldn't be judging one another. Is that true? Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Just back up a few books. And by the way, to no surprise, Matthew's written to who? Anybody know? The Jews. Okay, <laughs> it's written to the Jews. Not that it doesn't apply to us, obviously, but it kind of comes into play is what I was talking earlier in our context. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Starting in verse 1, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Well, according to everybody else, that's it. We're through reading our Bibles for the day. Don't judge. That's what it says. As if we're not supposed to read the context, right? Well, let's go ahead and read the context. He says in verse 2, For in the way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, so whatever way you're judging somebody else, it's coming back your way exactly the same. Now listen, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Boy, big difference, isn't it? Somebody else that I'm judging has a piece of sawdust in their eye. I got a plank in my eye, okay? So obviously there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of an issue there. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like if, as a guy, it's like if I said, hey, to my buddy, you're, you're staring a little too long at that pretty girl, but yet I'm some porn freak, <laughs> right? There's a, there's a little thing maybe, who's, maybe that's going on in the life of your brother, but I've got some massive problem. So that's why he says there's a piece of sawdust in his eye. You've got a plank in your eye right? That's a problem. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, the piece of sawdust out of your eye, right? When at the same time, you've got a plank in your own eye. 
Who are you who are living in worse sin, worse filth, worse error to tell somebody else about a smaller issue that's going on in their life, right? Verse 5, he lays it out. First two words, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Okay, now listen, folks. Then, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck of dust from your brother's eye. Say, So he says, it's okay to tell somebody else about the speck of dust, he says, in their eye. You've got to do that first. But he says, then you can make that judgment upon somebody else. Okay? Then you can do that. So he's saying here that, yes, folks, you can judge your brother. Do not believe the lie that you hear all the time, even from Christians. Okay? But he says you must not do it hypocritically. You must not do it self-righteously. If you're living in sin, I'm not saying if you're a sinner because we all are. If you're living in sin, you're probably not the best person to tell your brother in Christ that maybe they have a little issue going on. Get ready, deal with yourself first. Get rid of the struggles you have in your own life that seems to be more than the other guy. Then you can make a judgment to your friend, your brother. Of course, do it graciously. Go back to Matthew 18. We're not going to do it now. And it'll show you how to deal with those issues. Okay? So, so like our text in Romans, you can go back to Romans now. So like our text here in Romans, the problem isn't making a judgment. The problem isn't judging, okay? It's playing the hypocrite. It's calling out someone else's sin when he says here, you do the exact same thing, as Jesus said, maybe even worse. It's not an issue of people judging each other. It's people of doing it as a hypocrite. See, we talk about this all the time, for those of you who go to the men's group, as we're going through the Old Testament, we've gone through many books so far, but so many times as we're going through the Old Testament, we see Israel do this. We see the king do that. We see the priest compromising over here. We see somebody fudging the truth over there. It is so easy to question them and to call them out as we're studying it. It's blatant sin, right? All the guys, we're sitting here going, holy smokes. We're studying this, let's just say in Nehemiah or Judges, everything we've gone through. We're sitting and looking at this going, what's wrong with these people? God just rescued you. God just blessed you. God just had mercy on you. And he did this and you turn around and just blatantly do this and this. And it's, boy, it is easy to pick them apart. And we do. But then all of a sudden, we take the principle from the text and we bring it into the 21st century. And guess what happens? We're no different, are we? We're no different. And folks, listen, that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's just being honest. We can do it even studying the Bible. We can do it going through the Gospels and just ripping the Pharisees and the stuff that they would do and saying and so forth. But many times the principle, I'm going, don't we sometimes do the same thing? Maybe in a different way because of where we live now in the 21st century, but we do the same thing. See, we're all guilty, but it's so easy to look at someone else's life with a microscope, isn't it? While we look at our own with a telescope. We love doing that. We love getting our little magnifying glass. Did you see what that person said? Do you think what, do you see what they did? But we look at ourselves as if we've got a telescope out and we're looking at Mars we don't see anything in our life. We do that, folks. We do. Moving now into verse 2, Paul says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. Now the New American Standard says, And we know that the judgment of God is we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, okay? The person we just got through talking about there in verse 1, 
he says, we know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Now, folks, the point he's making is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how pious you might be. You might be a moral person based on worldly standards, okay? You might be a great next-door neighbor, super nice, and you might be the guy who pulls over the side of the freeway and helps out the other guy. You might be a person like that. You might, you might rightly call out somebody who was drowning in sin. But it doesn't change the fact that God can rightly judge you because you're really no better. See? That's when he asked the questions. What? God, God justly and rightly is going to judge the person who does that. Well, he can rightly judge you too. The, who I call the moralist. The moralist in this passage, the one who looks at everybody else's sins but not his own, right? He has this mindset, folks. He has this mindset that he will be just fine when he stands before God, right? The guy who says, I'm moral and picks apart everybody else, in his mind, he says, I'll be just fine when I stand before God, okay? And the reason is because in his mind, all he does is compare himself to others. We love to compare ourselves to other people. We have a problem with that, Christians and non-Christians alike, okay? So we, of course, will judge ourselves based on somebody else who's kind of some filthy, pathetic sinner, we do that because it makes ourselves look good. That's why people say, I'll be just fine when I get to heaven. Right? So in, in the eyes of man, sure, he might look pretty good. This person might look pretty good. But in the eyes of God, guess what? He knows the truth, doesn't he? He knows the truth. Okay? Sure, you might not be Jeffrey Dahmer. You might not be Jack the Ripper. You, you might not be Charles Manson. But God knows the nature of your sin. And this is why he says you will be rightly judged. Okay? So he's saying God is fair. God's not impartial. God is fair. God is just. Paul, Paul says later here in Romans in chapter 10, verse 12, he says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and who richly blesses all who call on him, right? So he's saying God is impartial. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care if you're male or female. God's gonna bless all of them. I don't, I don't, that, has, that does not come into the picture. Folks, but this is the same thing. It's the same God who doesn't show partiality when it comes to sin either. God is, God's not saying, I, I, I just don't show partiality here. He's saying that in general, which means God's not going to show partiality with your sin versus the sinner next door who's a, who you believe is a horrible person. There won't be any. But we seem to think that. People seem to think that. I'll be fine when I stand before the pearly gates. But boy, that guy, right? Because we love picking out his sin, don't we? Now, as we move into verse 3, notice that Paul asks a question. He says, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Rhetorical question, obviously. So for you, the one who's doing all this judging, do you somehow think that you will escape God's judgment? That's a real poke in the eye, isn't it? <laughs> it really is a big poke in the eye. Now, if that person was able to respond, or those people, if you will, if they were to, to, to answer that question honestly, Am I going to escape God's judgment? You know what the answer would typically be? Yes. Yeah, I think so. In the back of their minds, they believe they will escape God's judgment because I'm not that guy. Once again, I got my eye on that person. 
I'm looking at everything they've done, they've said, they've acted, and I got that microscope out. I don't see any problem in my life. Nothing, right? They do believe they'll escape God's judgment. And listen, folks, this is important to the text, especially if you were a Jew, right? The Jews held to the privilege of their birth, did they not? They believe that they will ensure them, the fact that they are Jews, God's chosen people, that will ensure them their entrance into heaven. Folks, I have a friend of mine who's Jewish, born and raised in Israel. Uh, he, moved, he moved there when he was 27. He lives here now. Uh, he rents from me. And good guy, we get along real well, politically, we're all in the same boat, blah, 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 blah. I see him once in a while wearing his yarmulke. I see his phylactery there on the doorpost as you enter his house. But you want to talk about a filthy, filthy, filthy mouth, filthy mind. I'll be working on something, and he'll bring up pornography. I'm going, oh, are you serious? <laughs> really? But yet if you ask him, you heaven bound? Of course I am. See that phylactery? See this yarmulke? I'm a Jew. I was born there. See, that's a problem. They believe it ensures them in their entrance to heaven. It reminds me of, of Matthew chapter 3. You might remember this, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And so some of them come up, and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, you tell me that you've repented of your sin, well, prove it. Show it to me. I don't see anything in your life that's proving that to me, right? And then what did he say? He says, and then don't think that you can look at me and say, well, Abraham is my father. Do you remember that text? Because that's what they would do. Well, I'm a child of Abraham. He says, I, in so many words, I don't care. Just because you can say, well, I'm related to Abraham, does that give you a free ride? But their answer is kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what they would think. Listen, folks, Paul is the perfect person to ask this question because as a Jew, he used to do the same thing. He used to believe the same thing before Christ. He was no different. He, un he understood that principle like anybody did. So Paul can certainly be the one to ask that question. Now, as for the Gentile, the Gentile has no reasoning at all. Okay, he's dealing with, uh, the, 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 the principle, of course, as you know, applies to everybody. But he's dealing with, contextually, the people, the Jews, who tend to do these things. Okay? But as a Gentile, we don't have any reasoning at all, except for the fact that we're, we're so used to God's blessings, we're so used to his mercy, that we take it for granted. God shows grace and mercy and blessings us on this earth. We just assume it's going to happen when we stand before him. Nothing's going to change, Right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are lots of blessings that non-believers, sinful Christians, and everybody else receive. We all receive. It's called common grace. They think, well, because of that, it's not going to be any different when I die, right? To quote MacArthur, he says, human nature trades on God's grace, believing that everything will work out all right in the end because God is just too good and merciful to send anyone to hell. Boy, how many times have we heard that? Some people just deny hell altogether because there's, God's not going to do that, right? Listen to me, folks, this is so important. Millions, if not billions, believe that. Sorry, that's reality. Millions, if not billions, believe that or have always believed that over time. Now, if you ask that person, yeah, well, what about, what about the ruthless school shooter who shot up innocent little third grade kids? What about them? Oh, well, ha, now they are going to hell, right? They'll tell you that every time. Those guys are going to hell. In other words, God will judge them because of their sin. But he's going to be extremely gracious to me and mine. Right? Folks, that's what people believe. 
They don't say that, but that's how they act. That's how they respond. That's what they believe without verbally saying it. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll damn this guy to hell who slaughters innocent kids. But God's going to have a little different view of myself when I stand there. You might remember a few weeks ago, I showed a real short video of uh, Ray Comfort, right? Ray Comfort was on the streets, and he was walking around talking to non-Christians about heaven and hell. And they all said, you remember, you're going to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course I'm going to heaven. And they mostly gave the same answer. But see, these are people who are relying on God is love, right? Instead of the attribute that says God is just. Because remember, some people believe that God is love. God loves me here. God sent Jesus to die for me. God gave us the sun and the moon and the stars, whatever. And God's going to treat me the same way. They don't realize, but God is just. Therefore, there's going to be justice. The hypocrite, the moralist in our passage, who judges others but not himself, also has the false confidence that God is going to have a skewed perspective. And that's why Paul is asking him the question, do, do you seriously think that you're going to escape God's judgment? I mean, he just asked the question, really? And some people will say, most people today will say, yeah. The most recent survey I saw just the other day um, came from 2021. 65% of this nation says they're Christians, which is utter nonsense. Maybe 5% on a good day, I don't know. That's just because some people believe they're Christians just because they're born here. Some people believe they're Christians because their parents sent them to Sunday school when they were a kid. Or because they can quote John 3.16 or because they had a little bit of uh, church perspective when they were little kids. All these people believe they're heaven bound, folks. They're bound for glory. They believe God is going to have a skewed perspective. They've lived in sin and filth. They, they've, they've lied. They've stole things. We all, we've all done that. They've used God's name in vain. They've lusted after a woman. You could just go through the Ten Commandments if you want to. But I try to be good. So I'm, I'm okay. But that guy, oh no, he's different than me. Is he really? Is he really different than you? Well, finally here in verse 4, Paul asks another rhetorical question. He's challenging their thinking here, okay? Now remember, at the end of verse 3, he says, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Folks, this is what the problem was, and generally still is. People show contempt towards God, meaning they take, they take him lightly. Uh, they assume on God's kindness. They assume on God's tolerance and his patience. So when he asks the question, do you, do, you know, do, do you show contempt? Yes, they do. And there's no question, folks, that he is all of those things. God is kind. God is tolerant. God is patient which is why people assume that. He is those things. I mean, think about it, folks. Have you ever wondered why, in the current state of our country right now, how God has not wiped us off the map? The stuff we're pursuing, the stuff we're legalizing, the stuff we're pushing? Are you kidding? Why have certain cities not receive the same judgment as Sodom and Gomorrah received, like where I grew up in California. I'll let you figure that out. Because God is gracious and he is kind and he is patient. That's why. So people are playing on that. And they're relying on that. Folks, if, we've got, if we got what we deserve right now, all that would have already taken place. But it's like when Peter speaks of God's judgment of the whole earth, okay? 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, remember the, this is going to be the end of the time, the destruction of the world. If you will, an uncreation. God will implode the earth ultimately. And as you know, there ultimately will be a new heaven and new earth, which you read about in Revelation 21, right? Streets of gold, so on and so forth. But 2 Peter talks about that, that time in, in, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says the Lord is not slow in his promise. Because some people are going, well, hey, whatever happened to this thing, this Jesus coming back thing, or the, the God doing God's judgment, well, what's the deal? And he says, look, it, God's not slow in keeping his promises, as some people understand slowness. But listen, he says he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance see. Folks, this is what he's saying here. Just because God is kind and God is tolerant and God is patient, you cannot go around judging others, pointing out their sin, pointing your finger, but somehow you will get a free ride past the judgment seat right on into the kingdom of heaven. No, God's patient God's loving, right? He is, but you don't get a free ride. Don't gamble your eternal destiny because God has shown you kindness on this earth. He is kind. But to be true to himself, folks, sin must receive judgment. Period. And as you have heard me say many times, the judgment of your sin, the judgment of my sin, is only going to come in one of two ways. There's no other options. You know what they are, right? Either you will pay for your own sin in hell, or Christ will pay for it on the cross if you place your faith and your trust in him. If you surrender your life to him, repent of your sins, and turn to him in faith, believing who he said he was, paying for your sin, then Christ will take that judgment of your sin. But if you don't, if you're not a born-again believer, you will pay for your sin. But your sin will be judged. There is no other way around it. It's just one of two people, you see. As the end of verse 4 says, God's kindness is to lead you towards repentance. Not a false security, but to repentance. Kind of like what he said back in 2 Peter. God's not slow. It's almost like he's saying he's taking his time because he wants as many people to repent. But God's not there to give you false security. To quote John Stott, he says, God's kindness is intended to give us space in which to repent, not to give us an excuse for sinning. Paul is saying here, don't miss the lesson and the purpose of God's goodness. Okay? Folks, I, know, I don't know how I get so way over, by the way. I do this at home and I'm never that long. I just want to say that. But let me just say this. A lot of things, I'm just going to go ahead and close. A, a lot of things were said in this text this morning. I just encourage you to please ask yourself, do I play a role in that text? Because like I said before, it's very easy for every one of us here. You're faithful, you're here, right? You want to worship the Lord. But we sometimes have a skewed mindset of our own life. Oh, I'm not, I'm not in that. Those are terrible people. I, I would, per me? No, somebody else. My neighbor, maybe. Right? My in-laws, maybe. But not me? No. I'm not. That's how we think. We don't say that out in the open. Of course not. But that's what we think. Folks, don't take this passage simply as a learning experience, but take it personal. Okay? Don't ever be so proud to say, that's not talking about me. Because there might be some of you who are sitting here today going, the whole text, the whole sermon, you're going, boy, I'm just thinking about my spouse. I'm thinking about Cousin Billy. I'm thinking about, you know, who are, and you, you say, oh, boy, this, th I wish they were here. They need, they need to hear that. Well, you know what? When you do that, you're doing exactly what this says. 
aren't you? Like this, yes, you are. Think about that, folks, because we have a problem with this in Christianity. Yes, too many people start off like this, and it's, it's a judgmental attitude. It's a pointing fingers attitude. And sometimes, you know, it goes back to, I don't have any problems. I'm just fine with God, and I'll be just fine with God. Really? Boy, how many churches are filled with non-believers today? But I'm okay. And therefore, they believe that God will have a skewed view of judgment. Because I see their sins. Yeah, but you don't see yours. That's a problem. We do have a problem with that in the church, but it's not the judging part. It's, it's the hypocritical part. So if anything, say, you know what? Maybe I need to get my own life right. Maybe there are some areas that i got to fix. We're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of pointing our finger at somebody else. I guarantee you that right now, including myself. So think about that as we end this morning, as it's one of those texts that are kind of, a, as I said earlier, kind of a poke in the eye because it's easy to look at. Well, those are just Jews. No, not necessarily. It's us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can go through this text today. Um, it's sad to say that it's an easy one for me to teach on, but at the very same time, it's, it's, it's no different for me. It's just as hard to swallow than it is anybody else here today. Lord, um, we're grateful that we can look at it. We're grateful that we can be reminded of this as the Apostle Paul writes to the church here and, and deals with man's sin. And, and Lord, like I said, it's, it's really easy to think of somebody else while I'm going through this instead of looking at myself. And so, Lord, help all of us here to, to uh, be honest and just to look into this text and say, am I in here? Am I doing that? Am I thinking that way? And be honest with ourselves. And so, God, by your grace, we will overcome our own sin, our own judgmental attitude. And, and if we do have a brother and sister in Christ who is struggling in sin and living that life of sin, Lord, that we would be honest enough, faithful enough to you, not hypocritical, and yet be able to approach them and hopefully be able to help them out of their sin. And uh, we want to have accountability in the church, but not hypocritical. Help us in this act, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.